Support for this podcast comes from you and Yankwich & Associates, since 1997 working to provide expert, responsive service in intellectual property law to biotech, biopharmaceutical, and biochemical companies worldwide. More information at yankwich.com. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com slash CSB1. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. There are lots of numbers that seem like they are always on the rise. The national debt, college tuition. But there is one number that has been falling for decades and has now reached record lows. Last month, the U.S. government reported that our birth rate in 2016 was the lowest on record. The birth rate has actually mostly been below replacement level since the 1970s, meaning that if we were just to rely on people having kids, our population would be shrinking. Over her lifetime, an American woman now has about 1.8 children, half the fertility rate of the 1950s. And the decline shows no signs of stopping. Obviously, there are consequences of this on our personal lives, but there are all sorts of other effects on American society. Who is going to create the products and make the breakthroughs of the future? Who will fill the jobs or fuel the economy? Here to talk about how this trend is reshaping American society are Dowell Myers, a demographer and professor of public policy at the University of Southern California, and Faraborz Gadar, a senior advisor at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. He's also director of the Center for Global Business Studies at Penn State. Dowell and Faraborz, welcome. Thank you. Well, thank you. So, uh, Dowell, you have talked about a couple of important forces um, in terms of population. Uh, one is that birth rates, of course, have dropped, um, and immigration has also plunged in the U.S. And you've said that's not good news. Tell me why. Well, we need workers when the baby boomers retire. There's 58 million baby boomers uh, that were employed, and they're about one-third of the way out of the labor force already. And there's not enough replacements behind them. You either get kids to grow up and be workers, <laughs> or you import workers, which is called immigration. Mm. And we're down on both scores. So when you say you're concerned, and look, as baby boomers get older, somebody's got to do the job, somebody's got to create the tax base. Do you feel like, well, I mean, baby boomers are already many of them at retirement age or getting there very fast. Do you feel like it's already too late to solve this problem? Uh, yeah, we should have solved it uh, 10 or 20 years ago, like, mm. all, like a lot of problems. <laughs> but we got to start from where we are. I don't think we realize just how bad this is going to be. People were studying it. They were worried about it, but it was kicking the can down the road. It wasn't mm. an issue. The real thing is that capitalism depends on having consumers. And, and these kids are, are going to grow up to be workers and taxpayers, but they're consumers. Mm -hmm. Without them, businesses can't thrive. It's a really interesting problem. Can we... How do we grow the economy if we don't have consumers? Mm -hmm. uh, Fairbors, you think a lot about uh, the economy and where it's headed. How do you see these sorts of demographic shifts impacting the future of America's economy? Well, there's a couple of things. Going back to the immigration issue, we have a lot of immigrants with low skills. We have a lot of immigrants at high skills. So if we shrink the immigration population, we will be hurting ourselves from the high-tech area, and we also will make it more difficult for the agricultural sector or other areas to basically use the service. So it's a little bit 
complicated, as uh, Professor Meyer says, in terms of the segment of the society and the economic uh, component. And if you look at uh, the population change over time, some 43% of the millennials are going to be non-white. Hmm. Now, that has implication to all sorts of segments of society. So, for example, our music is going to be different than the music we had before, or hmm. the type of clothes we're going to wear is going to be different. So even if you look at some retailers, for example, as the population becomes more uh, Latin, you see stores like Zara become much more effective in selling to the community. I wonder this from both of you, but uh, Fairbors, I'll start with you. Um, is this issue of uh, you know fewer births per woman, um, you know not having enough uh, tax base maybe, or not enough consumers simply to keep an economy really powered up? Is that all across the world, and are there countries that have f- sort of figured out a better answer to it than than the U.S. has figured out? Sure. It is very different around the world. I mean, if you look at countries like South Korea, Japan, Hong Kong, Singapore, et cetera, you have birth rates of 1.3, mm. 1.32. Same thing applies in the southern uh, Europe. Uh, you know, the Greeks, the Italians have, you know, somewhere around 1.35, 1.4. And so that population is aging very rapidly. And if it went from immigration, uh, the population would shrink. And in fact, in Japan, immigration is very difficult. It's tough to swim across the Japanese yeah, Sea. Exactly. And so, so therefore, that population has been shrinking since uh, 2006. I mean, it's been shrinking mm. fairly rapidly. So yeah, it is very different. And then, of course, you have countries where the average woman has six, seven kids. Mm. And so then the question becomes, you know, who's going to feed them? Who's going to give them education? What are they going to do about housing? And that's a Middle Eastern Africa situation, which is quite quite right. different right. than right. The Japan and the South Koreas. Dal, tell me what you see when you look around the world. Well, the industrialized world is, is fairly similar with having low and falling um, birth rates. I agree that the points just made, you know, that Southern Europe is worse off than Northern Europe, and Japan and Korea are really among the, the most challenged. So they were down at 1.2 babies per woman, but I think they're up a little bit right now. Mm-hmm. Japan solved it all by long ago by, if you call it a solution, um, because they're going to die at the rate they're going, ex- go extinct, really, literally. They're worried mm-hmm. about it. Uh, th- their solution is automation. They try to replace all the workers they can with machinery, and we may be following that path as well. Um, th- that's not really a very warm and fuzzy solution. Right. Uh, but, it, it, you know, they, they also... We're more successful because we do have immigration that comes in, and we, we're, we're a nation of immigrants. We, we know how to incorporate them. The Europeans have a hard time bringing in immigrants. J- Japan really repels immigrants. They don't attract them at all, make it very difficult. So we, our birth rate is higher for that reason because mm. we have a more inclusive uh, uh, history, and we know how to do it. We're comfortable with doing it, despite what frictions you do hear about. They're, they're minor here compared to other parts of the world. I would say one thing about uh, that Northern Europe, the, the Scandinavian countries ha- have a higher birth rate in part because they figured out a way to help women have a job and have a, a role as, as a mother. They combine them, and it's, it's a more gender equal society, and they have more social support system. The, <clears throat> the countries that do worse are in Southern Europe and in um, Japan and Korea are more uh, hierarchical and uh, patriarchal. Mm. And a little more rigid. And, and in those environments, the, the women have a harder time coping. 
And so they kind of rebel from uh, playing the mother role and also supporting the mother-in-law and working. They, they're just not able to combine it the way they can in Scandinavia. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller, and I'm talking with Dowell Myers, a professor at USC, and Faraburz Gadar, a senior advisor at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Now, uh, uh, Dowell, uh, you, you both talked about this, but Dowell, I'll start with you. Um, a lot of people, including both of you, have really said well, one of the solutions here is if you're not having your own children, you bring in uh, people from the outside. You bring in immigrants. Now, in the U.S., at least, that does not seem to be the direction we're going. If anything, we seem to be going the opposite direction, right, bringing in fewer immigrants. Now, obviously, a lot of that stuff, a lot of those moves in terms of immigration are are relatively recent, and this is a big, big country we're talking about. So. So, Dowell, give me a sense of what the numbers here are and whether, you know, recent moves will really change the big picture at all for the U.S. Well, immigration has been subsiding since about 2000 in the U.S. And then it, after the Great Recession hit, it dropped more, more sharply. Hmm. Immigrants largely come for jobs. Mm-hmm. And if there's no jobs, they're not motivated to, to move in. But um, our biggest change is that Mexico has ceased to be a major um, source of immigration for the U.S. It used to be virtually half of all our immigrants, or at least 40 percent, and it's, uh, it's way down. The net flow is, is zero across the, the southern border with Mexico. They, they have a diminishing number of young people in their country, so they don't have the need to export their surplus kids the way they did in 1990. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our cost of living here is so high that it's just not worth their while to come, come north. There also there are some repellent factors for them. Uh, you know the, the the rhetoric they hear about uh, you know anti-immigrant sentiment doesn't encourage them either. But if if they needed jobs, they would come north here. They, I, the Mexican economy, I think, is really able to absorb all mm-hmm. of its young people, and mm-hmm. it, that's changed it. So now now we're getting uh, much more from from Asia. Asia has really uh, been rising still, uh, while while Mexico dried up. Asia's rising. On balance, we're down in total numbers of immigrants, but the Asian numbers are up, and they tend to be more highly skilled, more highly educated also. So that's feeding the high end of the uh, skills distribution. Um, and without Asian immigrants, we'd be in trouble. We wouldn't have enough um, doctors and surgeons and, mm. and computer scientists. Mm. And, you know, it, we're kind of happy to have more immigrants. We also need more immigrants at the low skilled. I would point out that with the aging baby boomers are going to need more health care, both from the doctors and from the nurses and the orderlies and other support staff. Um, the hospitals uh, have both the high and the low end immigrant skills um, right. that are, are predominant there. Right. Uh, Fairbors, do you see this debate about immigration that's happening on, on a political level intersecting at all with this sort of demographic realities of an aging population without a lot of young people being born um, in America. Right. Actually, if um, very much so. If you look at um, the way immigration was when I was a graduate student and the way immigration is right now in our colleges and our universities, you know, 25 years ago, you got your Ph.D. or you got your master's. You were dying to stay in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's somewhat difficult for the students to sort of justify that they want to stay here. At the same time, alternatives to going back home are becoming quite attractive. Mm-hmm. So I have a teaching assistant who is Chinese and 
she decided to go back to Hong Kong. I mean, the the sure. deal she could make a much better deal there than she could staying in New York City. Same thing with an Indian who decided to go back to Bangalore. So we're having difficulty keeping them. At the same time, other countries um, are attracting them. So mm -hmm. Canada has been much more effective in targeting highly skilled people and inviting them to come. So I, I was in uh, Southern California. I saw this billboard that said, if you have difficulty getting your green card, you know, contact us in uh, Vancouver. Also. <laughs> and and I, I looked at this and I said, this is in Silicon Valley. I mean, this yeah. is... Uh, so that element is very difficult. And so on one hand, we're being more difficult in bringing them in. On the other hand, other people are being much more open and right, bringing them right. back in. We've heard that here before about, about Canada. And as you say, you know, the China of 1987 is not the China of 2017. So China itself, just forget how we're acting, um, has a lot more opportunities for Chinese people. Absolutely. But even on the healthcare, non-China, non-India, there are more Egyptian doctors in the United States than they are in Egypt. Wow. Um, so, I mean, these are statistics that are just mind-boggling. Mm -hmm. Dow, one thing you've said is that we're seeing a kind of mismatch between who votes, which is uh, very often older white people, and then who needs services to kind of craft this economy of the future, which is young and increasingly non-white people. Tell me about, like, the consequence of that mismatch. Well, I'd be happy to talk about that. It's an interesting problem I face in my personal life because I'm getting older and I want to vote for my <laughs> own benefits. But I you know, also have kids and maybe a grandkid, and I need to worry about that. If you don't have enough workers, another solution is to actually make all the existing children grow into be higher capacity workers. Mm -hmm. So instead of quantity, we make up with more quality. We could invest more in our children, and they could then earn more, pay higher taxes, and support more old people. The old people are going to be here regardless. We're not going away. And we're going to keep voting. And the trick is they help people think ahead just 20 years. And I do this when I do public speaking. I ask people, you know, I, I basically play a joke with them about knowing the future. And one thing I know for sure is that everybody in the room is going to be 20 years older. Um, <laughs> And yet we don't vote that way. We, right, vote, we right. vote about the present. Right. And, and education is all about investing in the future. And we're just trying to survive in the present and clutch onto our own, our own uh, benefits. And in so doing, we're shrinking the pie, not growing the pie. Well, you know, you talked about education, and I guess I wonder if in communities with a large older population, I, and I mean people who don't have school-age kids anymore, um, People are thinking, oh, you know, I, I want to help other people's kids because in 20 years, those people will be my home health aide or those people will be my doctor or my nurse or my, you know, whatever. I don't know if, you know, that's what happens, but you, you tell me. Well, areas that have a lot of retirement migration have a real disconnect between the older people who have no roots in the community and then the local residents who also probably look ethnically different as well. So there's an ethnic divide. But mainly they just don't have any, any roots, no history. And they uh, don't, just don't have a sense of investing in the future because they haven't lived there and participated in a trajectory of development over time. They just dropped in. Arizona's got it bad that way. Uh, and the people who escape from the Midwest and they come down to the, living on the Mexican border and they want to pretend like it's a, a holiday resort and not a place where people are actually growing up and taking jobs. Hmm. Dowell, 
Uh, if a government official from a state government, from a federal government, came to you and said, look, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I see the situation coming down the pike. We're having fewer kids. We've obviously got a large cohort of people getting older. What is like the single best thing that you would recommend we do? I would take a little bit longer view and emphasize the children and start to treat our children, other people's kids, as a precious asset, as a scarce resource, a diminishing resource that we need more than, we need literally need about twice as much as before because of the number of older people. And we are investing less and less in that resource instead of more and more. I don't think we've gotten out of the mentality. We used to, in the 1950s and 60s, we had too many kids. We were swimming in kids. <laughs> and we got used to, you know, kind of letting them go and, and, you know, ignoring bunches of them. And right now we can't afford to have any dropouts. We need all hands on deck. And we should start getting serious about making sure that every kid has good health care. Every kid has a good education. Every kid, uh, you know, has a supportive environment around them so that each kid can develop their fullest capacity. Otherwise, we're not going to have enough people to do all the things that we want done. Dowell Myers is a demographer. He's professor of public policy at the University of Southern California. And Faraborz Gadar is a senior advisor at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. He's also director of the Center for Global Business Studies at Penn State. Thank you so much to both of you. That was great. Pleasure. One of the most unexpected consequences of the decline in birth rate is that counties around the country are going to have a lot of school buildings and not enough students to fill them. We've got an article about how L.A. County is dealing with that on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash innovation hub radio. From PRI and WGBH Radio, I'm Kara Miller, and this is Innovation Hub. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, working to unleash the immune system's power to fight cancer and help develop promising new therapies. Videos, white papers, and patient stories are available at discovercarebelieve.org.